blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Um, there, there are two portions to what I want to share with you tonight, and I apologize for the length of it, but you might be used to that if you come on Sunday morning. So, I, I felt like because of the place where we are as a country right now, that I wanted to start by addressing the issue of national repentance. Um, this is from a letter This is not mine. This is from a letter that Dr. James Dobson set out recently. And in that, he shared an excerpt from uh, Jonathan Kahn, who is a Messianic Jewish rabbi and pastor. And um, this is just a portion of what he shared um, in that speech or message that he he spoke. Um, Actually, he did this uh, on Inauguration Day. And so I share that, uh, at least portions of that with you now. He writes, or says, 232 years ago, the first ever presidential inauguration, the the nation's first, excuse me, in the first ever presidential inauguration, the nation's first president addressed a jubilant multitude and a nation that was united in shared values and a common hope in America's future. In that first ever presidential address, George Washington gave the newborn nation a prophetic warning. He said this, The propitious smiles of heaven cannot be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal eternal rules of order and right that heaven itself has ordained. In other words, if America followed the ways of God, his eternal rules of order and right the blessings of God would remain upon it. But if America should ever depart from the ways of God, that his blessings would be removed from the land. And so, the prophetic warning that was given on that day of that first inauguration, the smiles of heaven are being removed from the land. 
And so the question must be asked, have we then disregarded the eternal rules of order and right that heaven has ordained? America, as did ancient Israel at the height of its prosperity, has turned away from God. We've driven him out of our public squares, out of the schools of our children, out of our culture, out of our lives, and as ancient Israel, in place of his absence, we've led in other gods and served them. We've rejected his ways and embraced the ways of immorality. We've called evil good and good evil. And as did ancient Israel, we've lifted up the most innocent among us, our babies, and shed their blood. Israel sacrificed thousands of its children. We've sacrificed millions of unborn children who are not here this day, this inaugural day, because we took their lives and their silent screams ascend to heaven and their blood is on our hands. We passed down rulings from Washington, D.C. that war against the internal laws of heaven on human life, human nature, gender, marriage, We've indoctrinated our children against the ways of God. We have done as we were warned not to do, and then we wonder why the blessings of heaven are removed from our land. As for America, the problem is not social or economic or cultural or political. The problem is ultimately spiritual, and so must be the answer. America has turned away from God, and its only hope is that it returns to God. As for those of you who love this nation and are burdened and fearful for its future, America's only hope is revival, return. Without it, the nation is lost, and revival only comes, and revival only comes through repentance and return. It's time to pray as never before that return and revival would come, but it's time not only to pray for revival, but to choose revival, to choose to live in revival now. And for that, we must commit to return to God, to, to, to put away from our lives that which we must put away, and take up that which must be taken up, and walk in his ways, and live in his spirit, as we have never done before. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the entire earth, looking for the one whose heart is completely his, to show himself mighty on their behalf. Let us be that people, and revival will come. And then as our prayers of repentance, I want to share two prayers, and I've shared them, I believe, before. One was, one was prayed in 1996 by Pastor Joe Wright to the Kansas House of Representatives, but it fits exactly where we are today. And he said this, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. Lord, we know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it moral pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and called it the lottery. 
We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Amen. And then the second prayer of repentance I share with you is a prayer that Daniel prayed. Daniel was a godly man. In fact, God said, I favor you, Daniel. I find you favoring you. I mean, he was esteemed by God. And yet, as I read this prayer, you'll see that that Daniel includes himself with his people. This godly man includes himself with his people. This is from Daniel chapter 9, verse, verses 4 through 19. This is from the English Standard Version. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands of which you have driven them because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets." All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, 
because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord, O O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And then I share this, a time for personal repentance. And that's what the psalm that I read to you early, Psalm 51, is about. A little boy visiting his grandparents was given his first slingshot by his grandfather. He practiced trying to hit a tin can, but he could never hit it. As he walked across the yard, he saw Grandma's pet duck. On an impulse, he took aim and let fly. The stone hit. The duck fell dead. The boy boy panicked and hid the duck under an outbuilding, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And then she whispered to him, the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me make supper. Sally smiled and said, Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to Grandma that he'd killed the duck. I know, Johnny, she said, giving him a hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. Psalm 51 is a record of David's prayer uttered after Nathan the prophet prophet faced him concerning his adultery with Bathsheba. This is one of the most penitential psalms ever written. In it, we see David praying for forgiveness. How did David deal with his terrible fall from grace? The heading of Psalm 51 reads, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him, after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This psalm provides some tremendous insight into David's spiritual recovery from a place of arrogance and callousness towards God's voice. It is the second most read chapter in the Psalter. Verses 1 and 2 read, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, And cleanse me from my sin. David begins by calling out for mercy. Why? Because he recognizes that God's revealed character is one of love and compassion. From the time of Moses, God had revealed himself as the compassionate and gracious God who forgives sin. 
David calls upon God based on his known merciful character and because he had walked in complete trust of God's unfailing love. Every person that has ever felt the guilt of sin and the need of God's forgiveness can identify with this psalm. His first words were, have mercy, which means be gracious, have pity, a heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to one who has need. And then David acknowledges God's unfailing love or his loving kindness or steadfast love. What other plea can a sinner make before a righteous God? The third line of his contrition recognizes God's compassion. David knows he doesn't deserve forgiveness, so he calls on God's character of mercy to remove his sins. He asks for renewal, purity, and pardon. He begs God, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. After supposedly hiding his sin for months, a convicted and contrite David now asks God to blot out the record of his sin that, and that his polluted heart and soul be cleansed. Verses 3 and 4 read, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. One can only imagine the turmoil, the sleepless nights and troubled days that David endured as he continually tried to cover his sins. Because of his status as king, no one would challenge him or accuse him of sin. But as he acknowledges, it was always before him. Does this mean that David's sins against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah were meaningless, inconsequential? No, not at all. But David recognizes that the greatest sin of all is against the Lord, to whom he has professed his love. When he sins, he is exhibiting his rebellion in the very face of God. Yes, we can sin against people and need to make those sins right. But our sin is even more against our Heavenly Father. It is that breach that must be healed at all costs. David has painted his iniquity in technicolor. Now he begins to contrast his own sinfulness with what God desires. He looks within. Sinfulness is not primarily in one's actions, but in one's heart. So in verse 6, he acknowledges, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. It is in this inner person that must, who must be converted and cleansed and disciplined. Our actions, when we are not putting on an act for others, flow from this inner person, from our heart of hearts. David's prayer is for deep cleansing. Verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. When a leper was healed of his leprosy, he would undergo a ritual of cleansing in which the plant hyssop was used. If God cleanses him, if God washes him, then he will be whiter than snow. Each snowflake, though unique, is built around a particle of dust. At the heart of each snowflake is something dirty. So David asked that he would be washed whiter than snow. 
David had, David had been through a period of spiritual drought, and now he longs for the joy that only the Lord can provide. In verses 8 and 12, he exclaims, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. All of the joy had gone out of David's life, and only God could restore it. In this heartfelt prayer, David now longs for this joy in fellowship to be restored to him once more. David's sins had affected his whole person, his eyes, mind, ears, bones, heart, spirit, hands, lips. Sin can be so pleasurable in the moment and yet so devastating on the body, mind, and spirit. David knew this, so he asked for more than cleansing. As important as it was, he wanted his entire being to be restored so he could serve the Lord acceptably. He wanted the joy of the Lord within him and the face of the Lord smiling upon him. In verses 9 through 12, David continues his plea. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 10 of that passage is the central verse of the psalm and expresses the heart of David's concern. Hebrews 9 verse 14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to sin so that we may serve the living God. Forgiveness lifts a heavy burden from the heart. And to be cleansed, to be restored to a state of purity must result in wonder and joy. And now, and David, now realizing what he had done and what God had done, did not want to be caught in that sin again, So he offers a different kind of prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And now David prays his great fear in verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. These are the words of one who has walked with God, but who knows that that relationship has been shattered. For almost a year, David's cover-up and unforgiven sin has been an impenetrable barrier between himself and God. Now he hopes, by God's grace, that the barrier be removed and that he may once again be brought into the fellowship of the Lord. And we see that in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. There is no joy in sin, but how great the joy that comes with forgiveness, cleansing, and reconciliation. And his transgressions have taught David a life-changing lesson. He will now use his deplorable experience to teach others. Verses 13 through 17. Then will I teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. 
You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Oftentimes those who have fallen the farthest and repented become the best teachers. David compares true repentance to ritual sacrifice in verse 17, but he realizes the sacrifices to God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David's pride has been broken. His heart is broken and contrite. And until our hearts break with sorrow for our sin, we are not really ready for forgiveness. So often we are sad at being caught or exposed, but not sad at hurting the God who loves us or injuring his reputation by our sins. We hurt ourselves, we hurt God, we hurt others. Our God is God who demands devotion, but he is also a God who forgives the truly penitent that seek him with all their heart. Oh, that our sins would break our hearts. And this evening, I'm not asking you to declare your sins to anyone except God. I am suggesting that by receiving the sign of ashes in a few moments on your hand, that you're praying like King David prayed. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. At this time, I would like to take just a couple of moments for you to bow your heads in silent prayer, open your heart and mind to the examining light of the Holy Spirit. And I would like to share this prayer with you. This is a prayer uh, written by Peter Marshall, entitled, With Sorrow and True Repentance. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, for the things I have done that make me feel uncomfortable in thy presence. All the front that I polish so carefully for men to see does not deceive thee. For thou knowest every thought that has left its shadow on my memory, that has marked every motive that curdled something sweet within me. I acknowledge with sorrow and true repentance that I have desired that which I should not have. I have toyed with what I knew was not for me. I have been preoccupied with self-interest. I have invited unclean thoughts into my mind and entertained them as honored guests. My ears have often been deaf to thy whisper. 
my eyes have often have been often blind to the signs of thy guidance. Make me willing to be changed, even though it requires surgery of the soul and the therapy of discipline. Make my heart warm and soft, that I may receive and accept now the blessing of thy forgiveness, the benediction of thy depart in peace and sin no more. In Jesus' name. Amen. For those who would like to uh, receive